Well, again, Merry Christmas. We really are so glad that all of you decided to come walking through our doors here today. Uh, We know that the Christmas season can be really, really busy. Frankly, for a lot of you, it can just be downright chaotic. And we don't take it for granted that you would decide to make Grumlaw a part of your Christmas celebration, especially if this is your first time walking through our doors. Uh, We all get that walking into a new place, it, it can feel scary, it can be pretty intimidating. And so again, we don't take it for granted that you would decide to show up here today, you overcame those fears, you took that risk, and you walked through our doors. Uh, but before we really dive into what it, what it is I know that, that God has laid on my heart to share with all of you today, uh, I'd love to pray for you, I'd like to pray for me, and for those of you that are new to this whole Christianity thing, prayer is just simply sharing honest thoughts, sharing honest feelings with God. So allow me to do that now. God, we thank you. That, that you are indeed a God that cares so much about every single person that, that is sitting in this room right now. Uh, you, in fact, knew exactly who was going to be here when, when you created the heavens and you created the earth so long ago. I, I just pray, God, as I pray every single Sunday, uh, that we would all just be open to whatever it is that you do want to say to us today uh, we, we'd soften our hearts and there'd just be this willingness to, to embrace what it is that, that you want to communicate to us. You're an incredible, incredible father. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Uh, my favorite lyric from that song, and in a lot of ways, it pretty well encapsulates, it pretty well summarizes what this entire service is about, is he is the rescue that we have waited for. And the he here isn't like a broad he, there is a very specific he in mind. In fact, this he has a name, and that name is Jesus. Now my guess is is that uh, no matter where you find yourself today on this whole faith journey, you've probably at least heard of Jesus before. I doubt any of you right now are like, gee, come again? Like, no, I haven't heard about that. Now, some of you, you've been at this church thing for basically your entire life. You could essentially do it in your sleep. Some of you, you're back after stepping away from the church for a good period of time, and you're starting to re-engage again. So some of you are here because, well, it's, it's Christmas, right? And what kind of like a special heathen doesn't at least go to church on Christmas? Some of you can count the number of times that you have been to church on one hand. And there are a lot of you on a day like today uh, that the only reason that you are here is because of a very magical five-letter word. You ready for it? It's known as guilt. Uh, Your grandpa guilted you or your grandma guilted you or mom or dad or the boyfriend or the girlfriend or the fiance. Somebody guilted you into walking through these doors today. Uh, it's okay, we know that you are out there, it doesn't hurt our feelings, but, but here's what I'm going to ask of you today. And, and obviously, uh, you don't have to listen to me, uh, because for most of you, my voice probably holds little to no weight, little to no influence in your life, uh, but let's just call attention to the obvious, you are already here, and, and you're basically just kind of stuck here for like this three-hour service. <laughs> hey, How do you know we're not going to go three hours? No, we aren't. That's indefinitely a joke. Uh, You're stuck here for about the next 30 minutes, so why not actually listen? Why not pay attention and allow God, as as hocus-pocus, as strange, as bizarre as it will sound to some of you, why not allow God the opportunity to speak to you here today? Because what if? Seriously, what, what if God has planned for this Christmas to be different for you? What what if God, the the creator of the universe, 
has had this date circled on the calendar since the beginning of time, knowing that today something is going to click for you. And not you in broad terms, but like, again, specifically you, that you are going to experience him here today in a way that you never have before. I'm going to be vulnerable with all of you and let you know, it takes so much time. It takes so much effort to prepare these messages on like these special days, like, like Christmas and Easter, on these days where I know that there are going to be so many basically extra people. So, so many people walking through our doors and sitting in these seats that would otherwise not show up on just like an average Sunday morning. I'm telling you, I labor over every word. It takes me so much longer to prepare that there's all this pressure, there's all this tension, because there's this pressure that for a lot of you, this is like our one chance and like we have to nail it and we have to get it right because otherwise you might never come back or even worse you'll just like keep showing up once a year around Christmas but you know what kind of dawned on me as I prepared and as I wrote this message and I got to be honest it just kind of took the weight off kind of released a good amount of that tension Uh, information rarely changes a person's mind And this isn't a religious thing. This isn't a Christian thing. This is just a human being thing. If you are absolutely convinced that you are right, even in the face of stone-cold facts that would suggest otherwise, it usually doesn't matter. Maybe you've already figured this out about yourself. Uh, You're really stubborn, In fact, we all are. Again, it's a human being thing. We oftentimes give the elderly, like our grandparents, you know, oh my gosh, you know how dad is? He's just, he's just set in his ways. You know how mom is? You know, she's just set in her ways. I got news for you. So are you. You are also set in your ways. My mom's side of the family, I I don't know where this came about, but ever since I can remember, they are like diehard Chevy people. I mean, like Chevy till they die, and they will particularly rant and rave about how Chevy trucks are the best trucks on the planet, and in the same breath as you might assume, they will tell you how big of hunks of junk Ford trucks are. And and ever since I was a little kid, they've always talked about this, and I don't know where it comes from, I'm not even asking questions, and then there they are just telling me about how Ford are hunks of junk, and Chevy trucks are the best trucks on the planet. Now let's just say, I was like, just kind of dawned on me one day, and I doubt this is ever gonna happen, but I was just like, you know what? It seems like they're a little biased. I don't know if they've ever been presented with like kind of both sides of the argument. And so I hired like this innocent third party. And I told this guy, I said, hey, listen, all that I want you to do for the next three months, I'm going to pay you to do this. I want you to just research Chevy trucks and Ford trucks. And then I want you to present whatever information you find, what the facts show you to my mom's side of the family. Okay, deal. And so they spend the three months, they do all the research. We sit down my mom's side of the family and they present all the information. And at the end of that, wouldn't you know it, the Ford truck is actually the superior truck. Do you suppose that in that moment they're going to go, wow, I am so glad that you showed me this information. I never knew before. Okay, here are my keys to my Chevy. I'm going to go out and buy a Ford. Do you think that's going to happen? Of course not. In fact, the opposite is going to happen. They're going to dig their heels in even further. That They're going to jump on GM message boards. And they're going to be like, you're not going to believe this idiot that came and talked to me today. They're going to call their buddy who's also a pro Chevy guy, and they're like, you're not going to believe what this guy tried to tell me. It's why some of you watch CNN. It's why some of you watch Fox. It's why we always look for information to validate our beliefs. Come on, you're not looking to broaden your horizons. 
You're looking to simply prove that you are right. So, so here's why I bring all this up. Even if I labored, <laughs> I mean, even if I spent every waking moment for an entire month and I came up with all this incredible information, I presented all these facts as to why you should put your faith in and follow Jesus and then today came and I presented this information perfectly for the vast majority of you, if not all of you, it would not matter. So let's ask the question, what is it then that takes a person from unbelief to belief? Because this happens, right? Like we see people all the time that didn't necessarily go up in Christian homes, but something happens and here they are into adulthood and they put their faith in and they follow Jesus. What takes a person from doubt to trust? An encounter changes people. An experience that a person had not previously accounted for. And again, this isn't unique to religion. This isn't unique to spirituality. This is just a human being. This is a life thing. Well, let, let me give you an example of this. When, when I was in college, when you're on the campus of a university or college, uh, there's always quite a few people that, that are pretty pas passionate about like human rights issues, right? And, and they kind of just, everybody that'll listen to them. And, and one of the hot topics when I was in college was human trafficking. And it was just like the horrors of human trafficking. And there were all these people that I went to school with that just really couldn't get their minds around why more people didn't seem to care about this. Why, why there weren't more people that were up in arms about the fact that slavery really does still exist through human trafficking and specifically sex trafficking right here in our world. And I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, even though those facts were sitting right in front of me, even though I had no reason to doubt that they were true, I, I didn't really care. I didn't because it wasn't directly affecting me. It wasn't directly affecting any of the people around me. It was just one of those things that was kind of out of sight, out of mind. Now fast forward to about a year after I graduate, I go to a service at a church right here in the area and they happened to have two young women there that were sharing their story about how they had been rescued from human trafficking and it was so powerful. I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the room and then afterwards, I actually got invited to go to lunch with these women and a couple of other people and we sat at lunch and through a translator, they told more of their story. And they went on to talk about how God had completely rescued them, about how God had completely changed their perspective. They wanted to talk about how they, they had forgave those people that had taken advantage of them. And I sat there and I was just like, what is happening? And by the time that I left that meal, about 90 minutes later, I suddenly cared about human trafficking. In fact, you could probably trace back to that very meal why we as a church here at Grumlaw dedicate such a large portion of our budget to the fight against human trafficking. Because I had an encounter. That there was an experience that happened that I had not previously accounted for. And I tell you all that because your heavenly father your creator, the, the, the God who has the very hairs on your head numbered, he desperately wants you to experience him today in a way that you never have before. It, it's just a matter of if you are willing. Are you open to experiencing him today? Are, are you willing to lay aside your pride are you willing to lay aside whatever agenda you came in here with today and just be open to whatever it is that God may want to say to you? Undoubtedly, what keeps so many people from truly experiencing Jesus is, is pride. 
It's this, this unwillingness to admit that we are indeed selfish, broken people. That there was a guy that really understood this quite well. We can actually read a lot about him in the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the Bible, and he went by the name of Paul. But what's so interesting about the life of Paul is that prior to being called Paul, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus, he hated Christianity more than anyone on the face of the earth because he was this very devout Pharisee, which was this sect of Judaism that practiced this really, really strict adherence to the Jewish law, to the Jewish Bible. And when this new movement known as Christianity started to step onto the scene, he took it as a direct affront to Judaism. And he looked up to heaven and he said, don't worry, God, I got this. And he made it his life's work to eradicate Christianity from the face of the earth. And I'm telling you, he was a type A personality and he was getting it done. He was going around and arresting and persecuting and murdering Christians. And then because of an experience, an encounter that only God could have orchestrated, his life gets flipped upside down. And he goes from fire-breathing, Jesus-hating Pharisee to all of a sudden the guy that was more committed to spreading the name of Jesus around the world than arguably anyone in the history of the world. And he went around all around these, these first century Mediterranean world and he planted and helped to start all these little churches. And he would often write these letters of encouragement back to these churches that he helped to start. One of these letters is titled Romans because it was written to the early Christians living in Rome. They weren't very creative with their naming. And this is what Paul has to say here. And again, keep in mind where Paul came from. He says, for everyone has sinned. And just in case you're wondering, uh, you fall into the everyone category. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, of his perfect standard. See, see, some of you undoubtedly have looked at our theme this year for Christmas, Rescued, and perhaps thought to yourself, what do I need to be rescued from? Well, well, if you have sinned, and I recognize that some of you maybe haven't come to grips with that, but if you have sinned, you are a sinner, and you are therefore in need of a rescue, because the moment that we sin, we fracture our relationship with God. We, we cut ourselves off from God. But, but what we do as human beings is this. Sinner, it sounds so harsh, right? Like, they, like that word, it just sounds so heavy. And so we substitute the word sin for words that are far easier to digest. We, we don't say sin, we say mistake. We, we've all let statements like this come flying out of our mouths. I know I'm not perfect. No, nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. But, but are we sure that all of our less than intelligent decisions are truly just mistakes? See, see, a mistake is an error, an action, calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning, carelessness, or insufficient knowledge. Mistakes are accidental. A, a mistake is your child spilling a glass of milk in the living room. A mistake is something that adults do when they're filing their income tax returns because it is impossible to understand the tax law. A mistake is something that you learn from and then you don't do it again. But, but what we've done, and we're clever about this, we've expanded this definition to include just about every poor decision that we make. People say they made a mistake when they get caught cheating on their spouse. We, we say that we made a mistake when we got pulled over for speeding. Oftentimes... We make mistakes on purpose. Sometimes we book flights to make mistakes. 
So some of you have spent exorbitant sums of money on your mistakes. I mean, come on, you don't have to admit it to anybody else, but aren't you guilty of premeditated mistakes? Don't you make mistakes sometimes that right before you know absolutely it's not going to be best for you or the people around you? I mean, seriously, think about it. You do things all the time. I do things all the time. We're almost immediately after making the decision, I'm looking myself in the mirror going, what in the heck did I do that for? Like, seriously, what is wrong with me? Perhaps we've made a mistake substituting the term mistake for all things less than perfect. Maybe it's time that we come to grips with, with who we actually are, sinners. Now, I know that sounds harsh, and I know it's Christmas, and you're supposed to walk out of here feeling all kinds of good about yourself, but I'm just asking you to have an honest with you moment. If you can't even keep your own standard, if you don't even follow your own rules perfectly, do you think that you are somehow keeping up with God Almighty? You think you're somehow keeping up with the creator of the heavens and the earth? I mean, come on. You know if there's a God out there that you fall short. We just keep on sinning, and despite our efforts to stop, we can't. It just keeps happening, and here's why this matters. Mistakers, they don't need to be rescued, but sinners do. M mistakers learn from their mistakes and then they try to do better the next time around, but sinners recognize how utterly hopeless, how utterly destitute we are. They, they, they realize that they're never going to figure this out on their own because they're inherently prideful, because we're inherently selfish, and so we take God up on his 2,000-year-old invitation we put our dependence on Jesus because he is the solution to our sin problem, because he is the way that we get that relationship mended with God and the key to the most purpose-filled life imaginable. It isn't until you see yourself as a sinner that you will see a need to be rescued, that you will even see a need for Jesus, that you begin to understand why God would have went to all the trouble to send his one and his only son down to earth. About a year and a half ago, my wife, were on our, uh, my wife and I were on our eight-year anniversary trip. Uh, our our like, favorite thing to do together is just go boating. Uh, and so, you know, it's like five days without the kids. And so, you know, we hitch up the boat, we go up north. And one of the beautiful things about northern Michigan is there's like all these inland lakes and there's all these like rivers and streams that connect all the lakes. In some cases, you can drive like on inland waterways like 40 plus miles one direction. And so it's about halfway through this trip and uh, we decide that that particular day, where we're going to head as far as we can the one direction until like literally the waterways stop and I'm kind of doing the math and it's going to be over like 30 miles in one day in just one direction. And so we wake up bright and early. We're officially old people. We're waking up at like 7 a.m. on vacation. We load the boat up. We head that direction. At about 2 o'clock, we finally get to as far as we can possibly go. And so it's been six hours just like kind of riding in the boat. And so I'm kind of looking at my clock like, okay, uh, we're going to need to start heading back the other direction. Otherwise, it's going to be like real black by the time that we get back. And so we stop there for like 30 minutes. Then we turn around and basically just start putzing our way back. And by the time we get back to this huge inland lake that we were staying on, it's about 17,000 acres. 
I mean, it is so black that I'm telling you, you could like hardly see your hand in front of your face. I mean, it's fine, boat ha- boats have lights, but there's nobody out there. It's the middle of the week in September. There's not another boat out there. All you can see is like this little flicker of lights along the shore. And my wife looks at me and she says, do you know where you're going? And I was like, yeah, it's that light right there. If we just beeline it towards that light, I'm pretty sure that that's right where the dock is at that we need to go to. And so I open the boat up. It's like 45 miles an hour. It takes about 15 minutes to skip over to that light. And by the time I get about 75 yards away from it, I realize, nope, that's not where I was trying to go. And so my wife is kind of looking at me. And so she asked me the question that's like right begging to be asked. She's like, are you lost? And I was like, are you out of your mind? There's never been a man that has been lost before. I'm just finding my way. I'm taking the scenic route. And so I decide, okay, maybe like it must be a little bit farther north along the shoreline. And so we head a little bit farther north and I'm just kind of idling at this point. About 30 minutes passes by. I still haven't found where we're supposed to go. And she looks at me again like, okay, do you know where you're going? I'm like, honey, I got this. Why don't you just lay your little head down and catch the little Z's, okay? And so I then turn the boat around and I start heading back the opposite direction. By this point, my wife is completely asleep in the front of the boat. And I take about another hour and go the other way. Still haven't found where I'm supposed to go. Uh, One hour turns into two, and two turns into three, and three turns into four, and now it's like the middle of the night, and I'm like really committed to finding this thing, but admittedly, I'm getting pretty tired. I'm looking at the gas gauge. That's getting pretty low, and finally, I am saved at about 6.30 a.m. after starting this whole thing at about 10.30 uh, because the sun comes up. I'm glad that that is a recurring thing, and uh, and I see where I'm supposed to go, and so I finally beeline it towards that dock. We pull up to the dock, and we basically wasted the day of vacation because we were so tired, and uh, we slept our day away in the cottage. That, that's version one of the story. Here, here's version two. Another version of the story could have went like this, where I came out to the open water. My wife asked me, do you know where you're going? I said, yep, we beeline it to that dock, and I recognize, nope, this is not where I'm supposed to go. And then I pull my phone out of my pocket, pull up Google Maps, punch in the address and realize that I'm about 100 yards away from where I need to be, immediately drive there, and we're safely in bed by 10.30. Now, sadly to disappoint you, that's actually the version of the story that happened. (laughs) But so many of you, you're driving around in the dark, and you keep thinking that the light's eventually going to click on. You keep thinking that the sun's eventually going to rise, that you're eventually just going to figure it out, that you'll be able to eventually figure out your sin problem on your own, and you won't. There's no chance you're going to figure it out by yourself. And meanwhile, the solution is no more difficult for you to find than your phone in your pocket. But unfortunately, we, we as human beings, we are so incredibly stubborn, and we're so arrogant, and we're so prideful that we won't take God up on this 2,000-year-old offer. Or perhaps we feel too far gone, we feel too broken, we feel like our pasts are, are too checkered, but regardless, we're, we're content to continue to go through the motions of life, continue to live in the filth of our own sin, rather than just having the humility to turn to God and say, I need you. I need to be rescued. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And if this is how the story ended, I can guarantee you we would not be sitting here right now. That there would be nothing worth celebrating here at the end of December. But God, 
But God, rather than leaving us to wallow around in the mess that we had created for ourselves, but God, rather than deciding to just hang an out-of-order sign on earth and walking away, he chose to get involved. Because he places such tremendous value on you. He, he chose to get involved because he is love. He got involved when he sent his son down to earth a couple thousand years ago, born in a manger to ransom, to rescue every single one of us, to save us from that sin problem that we have no ability to solve ourselves. In the very next verse, in fact, in the very next breath, Paul says this, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. You've been freed. You've been rescued. God's just waiting for you to take him up on the offer. It's your move. But do you see yourself as a sinner? Or are you just a mistaker? And here's the cherry on top of this, and here's what gets me particularly excited about today. God has such a better life waiting for you. A, a life with true purpose, a life with true fulfillment, a life of actual contentment, something that we are all after. See, see, God's not just calling you to something different. He is inviting you into something that is so much better. He's just waiting on you to make a move. And listen, I get it. It's almost impossible to comprehend that the most high God would make the standard so simple. That the way that you would be declared righteous, which is just a fancy way of saying, the way you get that right standing back, the, the way that you would be called approved, it's, it's not based on what you've done. It's not based on what your past looks like. It's, it's just trust. It's belief. Do you believe that God sent his one and his only son down to earth to rescue you, to save you. And in that simple acknowledgement of faith, just like that, we get that right standing back. Jesus is the rescue that we desperately need. God so desperately wants you to experience him today, to encounter him in a way that you never have before. He, he loves you so, so much that he sent his one and his only son down to earth so that you would never have to doubt that.